This is National Tea Time. Yes, God, everybody. My name is Alora O'Shaughnessy. I am your host for National Tea Time. My lovely guest today is former US of A MI 2016 and Mr. Trans USA 2019, Abs Hart. How are you today, Abs? I'm doing great. How are you? I am fabulous. What was your inspiration for wanting to do drag and what got you started in the drag pageant area? The reason that I actually started doing drag is because my youngest brother had been doing drag for a couple of years and he and I had always been pretty close because we were always sort of the odd ones in the family. Uh, we grew up in Oklahoma, and he moved to California in 2010. So I decided, well, if he's not going to be here, I guess somebody should continue to be an entertainer in the queer community and this family. The reason I got involved in pageantry is also kind of weird, random story. I was out at a gay bar with some friends and happened to see several people walking around with sashes. I didn't have any idea what they were or what they were about, but all I could see was that the title on the sash was Mr. Something. And it was people who looked to me to be probably born female. And that really sort of caught my eye. And I started to do a little research and found out that it was due to drag having pageantry involved in it so from there just decided i wanted to check it out that's fantastic i didn't know you had another sibling who did drag what was their stage name it was kimberly hart interesting like i said i didn't know that about you so why did you choose mr us of ami what was the leading reason to go into that uh, particular system so honestly i i moved Arkansas from Oklahoma in 2011 and I had been performing a little bit for about a year at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I had jumped into some Facebook groups for Drag Kings and had made a post in one that I was getting ready to move to Arkansas and was curious if there was anywhere here to perform. Long story short, I found out that really the only way for a king to get to perform was to compete in a pageant. And US of A was the only one that had a king pageant prelim in Arkansas at that time. So I wanted to perform and I decided to jump into it. I noticed you have on your Instagram, on your Facebook, your different prelim titles. What were those titles? I was Mr. Arkansas US of AMI in 2013, mm-hmm. and then Mr. Southern State US of AMI in 2014. So when you won Mr. US of AMI, what state were you representing at that time, or what prelim? So I won um, Southern State for 2014, which is what took me to compete for the national 2015 title. I came in first alternate mm-hmm. at that national pageant, which gave me a ticket to go ahead and compete for the 2016 pageant. I was technically just competing as the first alternate, so I didn't really have a state title. See, that's what I like about MI. Uh, the first alternates always have their ticket to go back to nationals. That's uh, such a unique uh, thing for y'all's uh, pageant for uh, yeah. MI and Diva. I don't think 
a lot of other systems partake in that, which I honestly think would be fabulous if a lot of other systems. It's a, it's a really great opportunity. If, uh, it, it, I think it's only been used about half the time. Like no one, none of the first alternates since I had started competing had come back until me, but I think there was one before I had started competing, but it's scary, but it's a really good opportunity because you don't have to spend any money on a prelim or anything like that. So you already have time and money (laughs) at your disposal. Right. Like I said, I really think that is a fantastic idea. And whoever was the first alternate last year really should probably think about going to nationals when they decide to reschedule it. So let's skip to the year that you won. They announced you as part of the top 12. What, or uh, do they not do top 10 or top 12 uh, at we USVMI? We top 12 at, at that year. Most years we usually do top 12, yeah. Top 12. What was your thought process and what was going through your head at that time when they announced your name to be on the top 12? At first, it's sort of like some relief because even if you're feeling really confident about what you did, you also have been watching everyone else compete all week and... It was a really tough competition that year, and I feel like I was announced sort of near the end of the group. It's like, oh, thank God. Okay, I made it. And so then it's just trying to get your mind into the right place of not freaking out. I'd had a phone call with Dominique Sanchez that afternoon who had choreographed my talent, Mm -hmm. and she had called me uh, just to sort of give me a pep talk. And so I was I was really kind of thinking back through some of the things that she had said, which was the whole week, everything that I'd done before was over, it was done, I had made it through. And so I just needed to focus on being myself, enjoying it and doing the best job that I could do. So I was just really, really kind of trying to focus on those words and uh, keep everything else out of my head. I do agree with that. When you compete, period, no matter what system it is or what uh, title it is, it's always a good thing to be reminded just to be yourself and have fun with it. You said Dominique Sanchez choreographed your talent. What was your talent that year? That was when I did three sliding. Yes. Yes. I had four backup dancers that were uh, all drag queens, and so we made them dance as boys that year. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so... The competition is over. You've done evening wear. You've done your talent. You've gone through the whole spiel. While they are announcing second and first runner-up, what were you thinking? Were you thinking, oh, my God, I didn't win, or holy crap, I think I just won? What, What were you really thinking at that time? I was very confident in my evening wear, for sure. I felt really good about it. I felt like it stood out more than any of the other ones on stage. And I felt really confident in what I had done for talent. But mm-hmm. again, you really never know like what the judges are going to see. And everyone was doing their best. It was finals night. So they announced second alternate. And that was Eddie Broadway that year, which was a sort of a small sigh of relief for me because he was someone who I saw as probably one of my biggest competitions for the year. They had also announced the interview winner before that and then gone straight into the placements. So, again, I felt really good about my evening wear, but I I just wasn't for sure on talent. Then they announced Bo Davis as first alternate, which was kind of a funny moment because that was his first year. 
And if you watch the DVD of that year at all, you can see my face when they announced him because I was like, holy crap, what? <laughs> because that, that was not what I expected. And it was a really cool moment like for him to have that first year and really do so well. But um, it's funny because it, it sort of threw me. I was like, oh my God, that's, wow, what, what just happened? D'Angelo was the finalist, I think he was right before me. So we were standing next to each other and we're all up there holding hands. And I just, I kind of like blacked out a little bit. But what I do remember is that I was very like fidgety and just sort of like kind of shaking my legs a little bit just because it seemed like Jordan was taking forever to say anything. D'Angelo sort of looked over at me and he said, I don't know why you're shaking. You know, it's you. And I said, well, (laughs) it could be you. Like he had also, he was another one of the ones that I saw as a really strong competitor that year. And he sort of just rolled his eyes and said, okay, but we all know it's you. And that's kind of really almost the last thing that I remember until after they called my name. Um, I do remember Jordan getting ready to announce the winner and he said, and now representing the state of Arkansas. And I stood there and I literally was thinking, who the hell else is from Arkansas up here? (laughs) Then the next thing that I remember is Valentino grabbing my face and saying, you did it, you did it, we did it. And then that's when sort of the sound of the rest of the room came back to my head. (laughs) Right. See, and that's okay. Let me brag on my Arkansas people. 2016 was the year of Arkansas at MI Classic. Diva and MI. Victoria Rios was crowned. US of A Diva 2016. Valentina was crowned. Yes. US of A MI Classic. Bo Davis was first alternate to MI. And then you were crowned. Am I? And and I, I just really want to brag because so often you don't see something like that all the time. It was amazing. Year. It was an amazing, amazing event. Amazing year. So when they did announce your name for winning Am I 2016, what went through your head while they were pinning that crown onto you? It's <laughs> it's sort of very surreal. Um, I think that if you watch. If you watch anybody's crowning, or I know you've been to at least one of our nationals, and um, and for anybody, two that, of them. That's right. Yes, yes. I, I knew it was full one for sure. If you watch the winner, like it's, it doesn't feel real, even though like it is. But it's just sort of I feel, I think, and then everyone has this kind of similar feeling. But you just kind of there's so much going on and there's so much noise and there's so much emotion that you have been feeling for, you know, days at this point, building up to that point that all you're really feeling and all that I really remember feeling was just, I, I can't hear the words to my crowning song. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, 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 you know, and that was, it's, it's a really cool moment just to have, um, and I was really lucky because I won in Oklahoma City, which, like I said, is where I grew up, and that had really truly been my dream was to be able to be crowned there because I I competed there several times, and we had moved it to Nashville once in between, and then came back to Oklahoma City, so I was so so thankful to be able to have that moment at home. 
And that's really kind of, I think, the only other thing that was really going through my head was just, well, I, you know, I'm, this actually happened. Like, I really, what I wanted happened. And the rest of it is honestly a little bit of a blur. It's, it's a lot of hugging people and crying and, and trying to hear the crown song and then just giving up because there's so many people to hug. <laughs> right. I will say watching the MIs and MI classics during um, the announcements and during the crowning is such honestly a beautiful moment because it seems like they all, all the contestants in the top 12 and even the ones who didn't make top 12, they go berserk. <laughs> uh, they they go berserk. That's the, that's the only word I can think of. It's like there's so much love on that stage for whoever yes. is crowned. And and that's why I truly love that it's system. It's definitely a family. And uh, I think that even, oh, even, when, even when there's a little bit of disappointment that it's not you, you have gotten to know these people that you're competing with as a friend or sometimes closer than that and you can't help but be happy oh absolutely and i think that's due to like y'all have a crown and sash Mm -hmm. party and y'all really have those moments of bonding between not just the mis you have the bonding between the mis the divas and the mi classics and i i really love that about that that system i wish more systems did that (laughs) But what it's can what you makes say? it special, you know. <laughs> we queens are absolutely we queens. We queens like to like to stay to ourselves <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot <laughs> when we're competing. <laughs> it's a completely different feel at like say US of a newcomer that it is going to watch right. MI. During your reign, what were some of the hardships that you encountered? Um, what aspects of your life changed during that year? I think I would have to say there's. I didn't have any like specific maybe events, but I think something that is difficult to convey to anyone that's not gone through it is just the incredible amount of stress that does come to you in trying to ensure that you are doing your job as well as making sure that you're doing whatever your regular job is and taking care of the other aspects of your life. You go from whatever your normal life routine is to having somewhere between 30 to a hundred people messaging you or wanting to call you about something or wanting to talk about competing or wanting to talk about their judges comments or wanting to talk about possibly promoting or, or even to Devin engage just meaning to call and catch up or, or let you know something. And you don't, really get to say well I don't have time for you right now you have to make the time if you want to be successful you have to make that a bit of a priority and I didn't have as many relationship struggles as some other people who have held the title have but it definitely places a strain on if you're in a relationship um, and it even it even can place a strain on just like your friendships because it's exhausting and um, I mean it's incredibly rewarding like don't get me wrong but it is very difficult because so many people are on different work schedules and different time schedules and different time zones and you can have somebody messaging you at 
one o'clock in the morning having a panic attack about something for nationals and I would get up and text them or call or whatever it was that they needed because that's that's my job for one year. And um, so the, the things that the things that change are just like having to figure out how to reprioritize your life around this and then having to try and still put a little bit of focus on whatever it is, like your normal routine things, your, your relationship, your job, et cetera. During your reign, is there any particular obstacle that you face or was it all just kind of the same kind of stress level? Maybe one of the more difficult aspects of it would be you want to obviously grow the system as a title holder. That's part of your job. Right, right. And I think that that can be an obstacle. Um, I felt it I felt it in a lot of ways because I feel like I am still sort of a younger entertainer um, compared to a lot of other people in the system. For example, mm-hmm. Brandon Young has been around since before the system was created and there are other people you know who like even like gauge and, and people like that who have been around entertaining for a very long time and i have only just been around now for um for 10 years entertaining as a drag entertainer which sounds like a long time but there are so many other connections and relationships that people have if they've been in it for longer and having to sort of try and reach out and find those people who would be interested as new people is a little bit of a struggle. It's easier with Facebook and things like that, obviously, because you can just, you know, search in groups or um, people who on Facebook suggest people you may know. Half of mine are all drag entertainers at this point. So you can sort of sit there and just sort of reach out to people and, and see if anybody ever bites. But it's really difficult to be able to find those people who would maybe be more of a promoter because if you're not in that place, you don't necessarily know what they have available to them as far as a venue or what's going to really make them interested in promoting as far as, you know, do you, do I need to bring them a lot of contestants? Do I need to have the money lined out for them? Like how this is going to work. And so really, I guess, what that would boil down to is, is not being able to be in every place at the same time. It's probably the biggest obstacle. Right. And I think a lot of your title holders face that, mm. that same obstacle. Um, just from my own perspective, watching national title holders, I think they really do face that, that sort of similar mm. um, obstacle. Did you ever come across anyone who didn't take any of your titles, be it US of AMI or Mr. Trans USA, serious? Did you ever have anybody say, oh, well, that's not a real title, or, oh, well, you're just this title, you're you're nothing? Did you ever come across anybody like Thankfully, that? Thankfully, I did not ever have uh, that kind of an issue with anyone. I think I had a lot of people who maybe didn't understand um, for both titles. So I got a lot, of, a lot of questions, but it was never a, oh, well your title that real or whatever kind of thing. It was always just more of a, well, I don't know about this, so explain it to me. So a lot of a lot of learning opportunities, I think. What was your support system like when you while you reigned? Who who was your biggest supporters during that time? Definitely my 
poor partner who had to go through the entire you know, thing um, while she was also sort of finishing up her reign as uh, gay Arkansas America. That was a big struggle. But um, I can only imagine that. <laughs> those are basically two, two full-time jobs. Let's just say right, that. And, and her freelance had just started, you know, at the time that I won. So we were sort of finishing up the busy part of her year and then launching right into my prelims. So it was, it was a very long year. Um, but uh, having her was definitely um, one of my biggest supports. Um, my dresser for the entire time that I have competed and my best friend, uh, Diana Housefire. Oh, um, I love her. Yes. She, we actually became close friends because uh, the first year that I went to compete, I had known her for all of about two months. And I said, uh, would you want to come down to Hot Springs with me next weekend and dress me up like a boy? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> and she said, uh, sure. Then we sort of just have been BFF ever since. And she has gone on this entire journey with me. Definitely Devin and Gage, who own the system, mm-hmm. they... Uh, I got to be so much closer to them during that year. And I think that people sometimes maybe view a national promoter as, as someone who is just sort of like a CEO or something. They're off in the distance and, and you don't really talk to them and, and you just kind of like shut up and listen if they say anything, but you don't look directly at them. But Devin and Gage are not like that. Um, they are, they, I was on the phone with them all the time, especially if I needed anything, they were always available. And even through now, like, I don't know what I would do without them. And I think there were probably a number of other people who were part of my support system that year. Um, Marco Delgado had been the promoter here for several years and Mm -hmm. he was a great support. Um, You know, the the staff at uh, Trinity and Discovery were on cast. all the other entertainers there, the people who had been dancers in my talent even came back with me um, for my give up to be a part of my give up performance. Um, And so I, I had an incredible support system. Um, Oh, and not to mention, um, Evie Love, who was uh, Mr. USA AMI in 2014. I think he and I were probably on the phone weekly, just, either just talking about things or, or allowing me to vent or, or whatever it was that um, I had so much support that year and I'm, I'm so thankful for it. And, and that's very important to have a strong support system behind you. And yes. really, no matter what you do in the drag community, that is just a really important aspect of drag in general is having that, that support system. Absolutely. Tell me, how many prelims did you have to travel to? Oh, let's see. I had, I think I had, I had 25 contestants, Mm -hmm. and I think a couple of them took second alternates, so I want to say I had 10 prelims. That's not too bad. That's not too bad at all, actually. With working with different promoters, what was the dynamic um, between you and working with all of these different promoters? <laughs> um, you know, thankfully, like one of the things that makes it easy is for them to actually get their date. Uh, they go through Devon and Gage. Right. Um, and so they obviously have, you know, a calendar of, of, dates of you know, you pay your prelim fees and you get to pick your date. And so then that date's not available, which makes it super easy. And 
Valentino and Victoria and I were able to say, hey, you know, we have one or two days here and there where we aren't available due to, you know, either work things or life things that were really important and unavoidable. But other than that, the way that I went about it was I just messaged all of the promoters from 2015, not long after I won, just to check in. And then after people started actually renewing, I would message them again and just tell them I was looking forward to working with them, ask them if they needed anything from me right now. Um, I think I annoyed a couple of them with how much I would check in just for no reason. Um, but I've always been of the mind that it's better to over-communicate than to under-communicate. And so I really enjoyed working with all of the promoters that I had that year. Um, most of them were established already. I'm trying to remember if I had anybody that year that was new, and I don't think that I did. That may have been the first year that Amy had taken over Texas. I can't remember if she'd had it the year before or not, but almost everyone else was pretty established. And so it was pretty easy to work with them. They knew what they needed or if they needed anything. Most of it was just getting travel information um, or figuring out, you know, with them how I was, how I was going to get there, when they needed me there, et cetera. And I think that was, it's, it's honestly pretty easy to work with promoters as long as you are gracious right. and you don't have anything to do as a title holder without your promoters and there's no person to go to. So I think I just really tried to be very helpful and available as available to them as I was for the contestants right. because they are a very, very important part of this. Industry. Right. Absolutely. Is there any significant advice that you can give to someone say, I wanted to be a promoter? What kind of advice would you give me if I wanted to be a promoter? First of all, uh, budget, 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 because it's very expensive to be a promoter, even if you have sort of a minimal prize package. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a very expensive job, and it can be very demanding, depending on, you know, you may get a contestant who is um, seasoned and knows what they need, and they don't really need anything from you, or you may get a couple of brand new people who don't really know what they're getting themselves into, and they need a little bit more um, assistance and your title holder will definitely do the best they can but you being the promoter may be the, the first person that they call um, and so it really takes a heart for uh, for wanting to be involved and really wanting to see other people achieve their dreams right. um, I think that's been some of the some of the best promoters that I've seen have really been the ones who didn't want it themselves, but they wanted it so badly for someone who wanted it. Right. And um, I, if if you have a heart for that, then you know, please, please try it out and see if it's something that you can do, something that you enjoy. Um, we would love to have you. Absolutely. I I do know several people who do have the heart for this, and. Granted, if I had the money, I'd probably be a promoter too. Right. Um, but that is that right. is a big part of that decision. Do I really have the money yeah. for this? Um, considering right. I'm still competing as well. So, what was the best oh. piece of advice that you received during your reign? Oh, I think that. 
the thing that I always think about is um, a lot of the conversations that Easy Love and I had, because um, when Easy won in 2014, mm. the national promoters, um, that was when Devin Engage took it back over. Actually, it had been had a pre, a different national promoter before that. Oh. Um, and so Easy had to do a lot of work. It was a interesting year. Um, but he and I had talked a lot that year as well. And the thing that I really learned from him was that it's not about you, the title holder. It is, you get, you get two moments and that is when the crown gets on your head and when you are performing your give up number and the rest of the year is about everyone else. And if you can go into it realizing that, um, then it's it's very hard to not have a successful year because it's it really comes down to encouraging contestants, encouraging promoters, being there and doing everything that you can to make it look like it is just this easy, perfect, wonderful family and you just have to focus on on everyone else. <clears throat> See, I never really thought about it that way. I think a lot of people who are interested in pageantry need to take that to heart because, like I said, never really thought about it that way. That's really interesting. What is a critique that you received from any judge that made you push yourself to be better? I'll tell you a funny one while I'm thinking about it. The very first pageant that I competed at, I did a... Uh, Powerline talent yes. from a Gucci movie, which is still probably my favorite numbers to perform. But I had this really incredible <laughs> green spandex sort of onesie outfit uh, based off of his costume. And um, nobody seemed to appreciate that very much. Well, personally, I would very much appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> I know. I, I, I got a lot of feedback about don't. Their green spandex panties, but um, so I I didn't I didn't wear it ever again. Rude. Um, I think that um, you know I I'm just trying to live my dreams here. I think that probably the the critique that pushed me the most was I had a couple of judges that had that have judged me a few times over the years for different reasons, be it a state pageant or national. And I think probably the ones that helped the most were being able to get continued critiques from those people. Um, I think that it's good to get a different perspective. I think that it's it's good to have new people judge you, but being able to have a couple of people um, a few times be able to say, you know what, you really did grow on this, and I, I can't remember some of the specific things that they said, but I know that being able to have critiques from someone seven, eight years ago, and then having critiques from them again two or three years later, it was really helpful to be able to see that I had grown from the things that they'd said, and then be able to get new, new recommendations on top of that. During your reign, what is a memory? that stands out to you the most is it embarrassing is it funny 
what is just that one memory that you go back and think heavily on during your reign? I think the thing that I really think about the most is probably the final few moments when when I'm doing my, my give up song. Well, it happens every year and we all know it's coming and you're really never prepared for it. But I went up and started my number and that moment when you turn around and all of your contestants and the formers are standing up on the stage waiting to tip you is really just a moment that shows you the work that you did and the respect of people who have competed for you or who have gone before you and you know, sort of paved the way coming up and standing behind you, honoring you with that moment. That's probably the thing that I think about right. the most because even though I know full well that they are going to be on the stage when I turned around, it, it was very overwhelming and it's a really, really special moment. So, um, I think that's probably my favorite memory from the year. I can go back and watch videos and a lot of people can and see the love of, uh, for someone who's stepping down and see that it almost makes everybody cry and I'm not a crier. Damn it. (laughs) 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 During your reign, you travel so much. Everybody can relate to that. What did you learn about packing with your drag, your crown, the jewelry, the shoes? (laughs) I'll tell you, figured out how to really pare it down and only pack what you needed. So the couple of times, we didn't have to fly very many places since we are pretty centrally located. Valentino and I had to fly to Georgia and then Victoria and I flew to Iowa. Everywhere else was a drive because we didn't have anything really West Coast that year. And so on our flights, I would pack like a shirt because I knew that I wasn't really going to need one except for to travel in. And, you know, you stuff it in the drag bag with everything else because thinking about what you're going to wear outside of the pageant is really just minimal. And so you really can learn how to maximize use of what little space you may have, um, taking, taking the biggest bag and the smallest amount of, of things like, can I wear one pair of shoes with all of these costumes? Wow, <laughs> um, I could not imagine. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what's really necessary here, and is it just, you know, do I, do I need to take all of this, or can I, what can I take that, that's a little bit more interchangeable? Um, right. I think that there were probably a couple of times that I took a uh, suit for crowning that I could wear the shirt that I wore for registration just because you're just trying to save some space. It was a little bit better if I could drive there. I got a clothes rack for the back seat and I could just hang whatever I needed and put my bag in the back, take as much as I wanted. But if I was flying, it was what do I absolutely have to have? And then I always, always 
took my crown as a carry-on because I am not trying to get it lost or damaged. Oh, uh, no, sir. And, and flight. So. <laughs> so just be lucky you don't have to travel with a lot of hair. Just, just, just be lucky you don't. <laughs> oh, I am very thankful for that. I think if I'd had to do that, I would have probably figured out uh, how many pieces I could get away with because that was that. Yeah, (laughs) it's not very easy. Even just traveling in a car with all the hair for a regular show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, trust me, no. So let's skip down to the pageant for 2017. It is your final performance before they announce who wins who are second, first alternates, and so forth. What are you feeling during this significant moment? You know, I I was so, so just in awe of all of the contestants that year. My top 12 was an incredible night of competition. I truly, there were a couple that I felt like were for sure going to be top 12 that were called, but the rest of the contestants did such a good job that there were a lot of surprises. There was a lot of, you know, you really didn't know who all it was going to be. And which I think is the best kind of competition because if you go into it and think, well, this is obviously the winner. Like it's, it's not fun for the audience or really for anybody. Like you want to see everybody be on the same level. And that year I, I really felt like my contestants really were. And I think that's why I probably go back to that moment too of, of turning around and them all being up there i was so proud of every single one of them and how hard they worked and how much they put their heart and soul on the stage i was so nervous because i had no idea who was going to win i was excited for whoever it was i was sad for whoever it wasn't and i think just sort of a, a, an incredible mixture of emotions at that point because um it's like right. It's like being the big brother, you know. You you get to watch your little brother go out and and he's competed and whatever it is, and and you're just waiting for him to get the recognition that that he deserves, and all of them right. deserved something. Um, and so I was just I was very very proud of, of my contestants. Just out of curiosity, what was your theme that year? Uh, my theme was Lost Boys in Neverland. Of um, so course. my uh, my opening production was. was was Peter Pan, and yes, it was it was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, of course, it was. And so that year was the year you crowned Eddie Broadway, correct? Correct. Okay, interesting. And we'll we'll come back to him in a second. All right. So there is a newer system, and it's called the Mister and Miss Trans USA. It is a fairly new system. Can you give me some details about this new betting system and what they are looking for in their title holders? Yes. Um, this is a really, really cool uh, thing, and I was so honored to be a part of it. This is something that is for, obviously, for trans people, either identifying as a trans man or a trans woman. And it is more focused on advocacy and community service and being an example of just sort of a trans person living their life and being, you know, a successful member of society. It was, they put a huge focus, like I said, on, um, on community service. They're trying to make sure that all of their title holders each year attend the trans march that happens every year in Washington. Mm-hmm. 
and they really put a kind of push us to use the title as a stepping stone towards being more of an advocate, uh, doing speaking events or, or things like that, just sort of to um, to be very visible. That's their their big hashtag is uh, trans visibility, and um, it's just it's about showing the country that we're here and we're just sort of regular people. See, I love that. neighbors and, and we exist in society too. So. <laughs> So I was on the Trans USA System website. Mm-hmm. I noticed they don't really have preliminaries. That struck me as odd. So how is each representative selected to compete at the national competition? They open up registration. Um, they usually open it up in March, but due to the state of the world right now, they pushed it uh, to May, I think. Um, and they usually leave it open for about 30 to 60 days. And so basically once registration opens, there will be a packet available on the website, uh, that is downloaded and then printed off and filled out. And then it is sent in with your registration fee. On the form, you select your top three states that you would like to represent. And the first person to get their form and payment in gets their pick of the state, um, obviously. So, for example, if, uh, if you know, if two people sent in to represent Arkansas as their first pick, the first person's registration and fee, they would be chosen to represent Arkansas. And the next person that came in with Arkansas as their top choice would be chosen to represent whatever their second choice was. So maybe if you have, you know, if you grew up in two states um, or you have family somewhere else or um, or you just think it would be really cool to be Mr. Florida or something like that, you can select whatever state means something to you and then it's just sort of chosen on um, the order that it comes Interesting. In. Huh. Never occurred to me that's how they did it. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, if it you know if it if it gets really really big to where they they're having ten fifteen people try it from you know from each state, then they have to break it down to cities or something like that. But um, hopefully we'll get to that point. Uh, I think right now I had, uh, I had six or six gentlemen this past year compete, and so they all got their top choice. That's fantastic. Uh, like I said, that's just something that struck me as odd. I was like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> Wonder how that works. They uh, they really <laughs> they really want um, the contestants to focus more on spending their time doing community service and advocating instead of spending money on some on a prelim for you know and, right. and, and not having promoters spend money on that and that kind of thing. So they it, it, they decided against having a prelim based system, which I think is really kind of. It definitely sets sets that system apart from a lot of other prelims or a lot of other pageants. Yes, for sure. So am I correct in saying that you are the um, emeritus to Mr. Trans USA, correct? Um, Essentially. There there was sort of um, an appointed Mr. Trans USA before Mm -hmm. me. Um, He hasn't really been involved um, and um, he didn't really... He hasn't attended anything, um, so they it's, it's sort of like a shared emeritus. Oh, okay. So what were some of the responsibilities to being Mr. Trans USA? Are they the same kind of responsibilities as being, say, Mr. USA of AMI? 
Uh, I think there are some similarities for sure. Obviously, like we said, there's not new freelance, right. so you don't have to worry about promoters or, or finding promoters or anything like that. Um, the biggest responsibilities that I had were obviously advertising the system. I tried to wear my stash and, and my medallion out to events that seemed appropriate. They really encouraged us to get outside of the bars and try to do things sort of more in the community because it's not a drag pageant. And so, again, just focusing on being visible. There's also a community service requirement. You have to do some sort of benefit or service act um, each month. And then um, they had me take a photo and send it to them so they could put it up on their social media. So I had chosen to sort of work with a little, a smaller local service, which is the Little Rock Little Free Pantry, which was just a, it's a small pantry that's run by a smaller organization and it's run purely off of community donations right. of either money or, or of either money to purchase food or food that's given. And then the pantry is just sort of available for people who are in need. You come by and if you need something, you grab it. Uh, they try to have both food and products like soap and, and food and hygiene and stuff like right. that toothpaste because sometimes it can be a little bit embarrassing or um, might not feel very good to have to go ask people for money or for food or to feel like you can't take care of your family. And so it was a nice way to, uh, to really get the community involved in helping people who maybe need a little bit to get by or to ensure that, you know, that their kids get fed or, or have a snack or something like that. So That's fantastic. I love that. That is definitely something that is needed more is pageants that are all about giving back to the community. Uh, I love that. Absolutely. Going on to talk about Mr. and Ms. Trans USA, I was on the website and I was under categories. I noticed y'all had swimsuit, evening wear, uh, presentation and all that. But something that also struck me as very odd was there was no talent category, even in <laughs> systems like Miss America or Miss Universe, they still have a talent category. Mm-hmm. Why is it that Mr. and Miss Trans doesn't have a talent category? Is there a significant reasoning behind that? So they really wanted to ensure that everyone understood that this is not a drag pageant. Right. And the reason for that is that while there are a lot of drag entertainers who are trans, Mm-hmm. Not every trans person is a drag entertainer. Right. And while there could be some element of, you know, just a general talent, um, like you said, like just Miss America, I think that with it being a queer pageant system still, there's that aspect of if you put in talent, it's going to attract a lot more drag entertainers, which is not something that we're trying to discourage. But we really wanted to make sure that people who that was not ever a lifestyle for them, that they understood that this pageant was for them too. Because it's for you as a trans person, whoever you are, whatever you are, wherever you've been. And and there are a lot of trans people who never never had that desire to be a drag entertainer, have never tried it. Right, um, right, right. You know, don't really don't really aren't really down with it and so um and i think having that having an aspect like that and having the possibility of having these big 
drag productions or things like that would probably turn a lot of people off who um, who were really trying to reach out to. And um, it was cool that there was a wide variety of people competing this year in both the Miss and Mister. There were a handful of people who are drag entertainers, and there were several people who were like, I am absolutely not and never have been a drag entertainer. And there were people from all walks of life, all kinds of jobs and backgrounds. And so not having that category really helps keep it open up to more people who might be turned off a little bit by that right. aspect. I kind of want to go and watch the national pageant because I think it'd be interesting just strictly from my point of view, I'm so used to watching talent as being part <laughs> of any pageant and just going to see what it's like to see a pageant that doesn't involve talent, where uh, I know a lot of systems, yeah. talent is the highest scoring category. Now, um, what is the highest yeah. scoring ca- category for um, Mr. and Miss Trans USA? Do you know off the top of your head? I can see interview being the highest score be, scoring because that that is something that I can see being very important to that system. Because right. they also have um, some suit Q&A, eating wear, and the state, uh, the state of costume. Right. So you were given up the title of Mr. Trans USA. Mm-hmm. And you crowned for the second time, Eddie Broadway. What was that like? That Not a lot of people can say they've done that. Because you, you crowned him Mr. US of AMI, and then you turned around and crowned him Mr. Trans USA. So what was that experience like getting to crown someone you've already crowned before? You know, that was really cool. Uh, it was really cool for both of us because I consider getting to crown him as Mr. US of AMI. I think it was probably the... Um, the top moment of my reign. He did such an incredible job that next year. His contestants were even farther above the level that that mine were. And so getting to watch him grow the system and grow himself that whole year, and then getting to have that moment again of just knowing what he can do and knowing that I get to give him that opportunity, you know, and, and be sort of the big brother again. It was it was a really special moment. Like you said, not many people get to have anything like that. And so um, I love watching him compete. He's a very strong competitor. Um, and he is a, a very incredible advocate for the community. So I was, I was very proud to be able to, to crown him again. I was watching that pageant closely on Facebook and I'm like, oh, well, there you have it, folks. <laughs> I just yes, like, is this the second it time? time. <laughs> <laughs> I just remembered thinking, wait a minute. This, I've, I think I've seen this once before. <laughs> right? This is familiar. So what is some of the advice you could give for any future contestants for Mr. USAMI and Mr. Trans USA? Is there anything you would advise against or for while competing for either system? I think that for both, I would definitely advise people to ask a lot of questions of people who have done it and ask a lot of questions from the national promoters on either way. Like, that's going to be the people that are your boss for a year. 
um, the national promoters that is, and you want to have a good relationship with them. And it also really gives you a good opportunity to find out what it is that they are looking for in a title holder. If you go ahead and have a personal relationship with them and then being able to have a relationship with former title holders um, for whichever system that you're going for also goes ahead and and helps you establish that, like we talked about, that that, uh, support system because it is really difficult to understand what you go through if you aren't a national title holder. And I've told a lot of people this when they ask the question, no matter what you think, you're not ready for what you have to go through. And everyone's journey and everyone's lane is different. And it doesn't matter what you've done or how much you've prepared, you are not ready for what happens during that year. And being able to have people who have been there and understand when you just need to scream is really, really invaluable. And it's nice to have that relationship and know that you're supported already. So I would definitely advise people to, you know, don't be afraid of national promoters and don't be afraid of formers. Their job is to help you and to support you. And while everybody's life gets busy, um, I know that, you know, for all of my former U.S. of AMI brothers, they feel so good when a contestant reaches out to them, wants to ask their advice or their opinion. Like, that's what they're there for. And they don't want to ever, you know, get in anybody's way or, or step on anybody's toes. So a lot of the time, we just kind of wait around for people to see if they would like our help. But they're really there to help the future of the system. So so don't be afraid of, of talking to the people who can who will really be your, your biggest support. Right, absolutely. My last question is, drag has always and will always be an ever-changing art form. And that is something that is very well known within the drag community. What do you want to see change in the pageant world? What part of the pageant world would you like to see come back or be taken away, if anything? I think as far as what I would like to see change, kind of like you said, it's an ever-changing art form. Mm -hmm. I think that something that everyone needs to take into consideration as far as going into maybe into pageants is looking at who we have judging pageants. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with people who have judged or who are judging pageants. But if we want to continue to grow and change with it, then we need to make sure that we have people who are going to help push that support and change and growth, selecting our title holders. I also really think that I would love to see people become more excited about it again and I'm not sure that I have the answer for that. I'm currently on staff for US of AMI, Diva, and Classic, and so this is something that I spend a lot of time during the year trying to work on. But I never would have grown so much if not for drag pageantry because for me, that competition aspect, for one, two, being able to be around so many other incredibly talented people and see the things that they were putting on stage and the things that they were doing was so inspiring every year, which is part of why I couldn't help but come back even when I didn't do as well as I wanted to do. 
there's so much that you learn about yourself as a person and as, and as an entertainer when you are having to push yourself to the level of other people. And I would love to see more entertainers either try it if they've never tried it before or more people who have tried it being out and really pushing people to give it a chance or pushing them to, to prepare a package, you know, before a week before the pageant. Um, I think that, I think there's a lot of things that we can do to get a little bit more excitement back into it. And um, hopefully, hopefully through this sort of growth ebb and flow period that I think we're going through, um, I, I hope that a lot more high level entertainers will emerge from it uh, and and really utilize the pageantry systems. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. Well, that concludes our interview with Mr. Absheart. I hope that my listeners find this resourceful. I will include his Facebook and Instagram in case you have any further questions about wanting to compete. Thank you so much for doing the show, and you've been an absolute treat for doing this. It's, it's been very, very informational. Thank you so much for asking me. I, I love talking about pageantry, so I'm, I'm always happy to talk about it. I am your host, Alora O'Shaughnessy. This has been National Tea Time. Thank you.